This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. Bez, what do you love? Well, John, it's a new sponsor and I'm loving it. For me, double quarter pound a meal. What are you having? Oh, it's got, got to be the chicken nugget share box. To myself, there's no sharing. But to myself, that goes without saying. But what dip? Oh, barbecue. It's a barbecue dip. Yeah. But where can people get it? So, yeah, where can you get it? You can order via the McDonald's app. Um, It's via participating restaurants only. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. So see McDonald's.com for full details. Good evening and welcome to the Ale and Vale podcast special. Um, we're just recording an intro on Thursday, the 30th of November night. Um, joined by Bez for a quick 10, 15 minute chat before we get into the John Rudge special. Bez? John Rudge. Yeah. Before we get, before we talk about Sir John, let's talk about your legs. How are they feeling after that run? They've taken some recovery and I won't lie. Feel all right today, finally. Um, Obviously, the race was Saturday night. Sunday, Monday, I couldn't walk, I won't lie. They were in agony. And as I said on my thank you posts on social, there was blood, sweat and tears in that race. And there was all three. Um, the blood come from nipple rub off the veil shirt. Oh, that badge. Yeah. Yeah. So blood there, sweat, obviously, 13.1 miles the furthest I've ran for about seven years. And the tears come when across the finish line. It was a good time as well, wasn't it, really, for you? Yeah. My slowest half I've ever done, but I was thinking it to be about 220, if I'm honest. 206, yeah. over the moon with. Um, and honestly, thank you to you, Johnny, because if you started off the fundraising by betting me 50 quid, I wouldn't do it. Yeah. And I'm a stubborn buggy. And then, obviously, Simcox offered another 50 if I did it as a full kit wanky which I went for the Wedgwood Blue, which I think brought out my eyes, if I'm honest. So, it basically brought out them pits as you were running across that finish line. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, Wedgwood Blue. And then, obviously, I think Dicko was the next one saying to me, I'll sponsor you. And I was like, I may as well set up a just give me page. So, I won't lie, Saturday morning when I woke up, if I got no sponsors and I was just doing the run, there's no way I ever ran it. 
it was the sponsors that made me run it. So honestly, thank you everyone that sponsored me. Johnny, you started it, so thank you to you. And I'm up now. I've got one thousand four hundred and five pounds, which I'm blown away with because I expected a couple of hundred. Knowing that you and Simcox had offered fifty each, I thought, yeah, a couple of hundred will be nice. Just add a little bit to the statue. But it's now fourteen hundred and five, which takes the podcast over six thousand for the statue. So really chuffed and thank you everyone and cracking time Adam Benidorm come back with a bit of a cold rest in peace Sticky Vicky yeah there we go you, you killed her off didn't you last night and Benidorm was also his yeah there we go but it's good good to hear you've had a good time while you've been away we've not so had a good time on the pitch so did no. you much of the two games um, the Shrewsbury game I had to leave the hotel about half five UK time. So I watched the first 25 minutes. Got five down to the section. Time. You what? You said half five UK time. Half uh, three UK time, sorry. I was going to say. The race was all four UK time, so I had to leave the hotel half three UK time. Right, yeah. So I watched the first 25 minutes. Got down to the section to my mates who were running with me and Mickey B's a veil fan. Says I would play. I said playing really well. In all fairness, we'd still nil nil. I said Baruchis just had a goal ruled out, which even the Shrewsbury commentators were baffled. Um, I said, but we're looking all right. He said, well, we've just gone one nil down. I says, you are joking. I couldn't see their goal coming. So yeah. that's all I've seen of the Shrewsbury game. And Derby, we always go for a curry on the last night in the dorm. So I did have it on my phone on the table, but I can't say I took it in. I just kept glancing at it. So no, luckily. I haven't seen either of them, but I have listened to both the podcasts. And I also listened to yours and Tom's podcast with Andy Crosby, which really enjoyed, and he seems a really nice bloke. Yeah, he seems a lovely bloke, and that's what made that that's what made it hard harder a bit, like because you know that it's not for one to try in, but yeah. something's just not right at the minute. And as normal, it's it's ter- Twitter's turning into a bit of a bit of a cesspool with a lot of personal comments to people again and the parody Dave Flickcroft Twitter's back up and running. Uh where's he to block that yeah. there, so I haven't seen that. Yeah and stuff like that. So like people like people criticize, go for it, knock yourselves out. Like but don't 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 abuse people. Well like, there's no need for it. No, there isn't there's no need for personal. I won't lie. I am in the Crosby out camp, which I think I was the first one on the pod to go in it after Charlton. And after the cup games, I went, maybe I've gone too early here. And I still want it to work for him. I want us to go on a 10-game winning streak now. Yeah. And I do think it's going to take a lot for him to win fans back. If you're asking me today, stay or go, it's go for me. I still want it to work for him. I want him to win fans back. Hopefully the players coming back from injury and reading Mark Bagley's newsletter tonight and brilliant read. We don't give anything away on here really that he says in there because go and pay for it, help Mark out. But obviously talks about three more players coming back from injury. So I do hope it works for him, but I think I'm getting to the point where it isn't the players that are the issue. It's are they overcoached? Are we that strict and you get the ball, you play it side, which you get it back, you play it side, which you go down the sides, you come back, you go to the other side, then you get a crossing. Or we overcoached, and is that down to Crosby 
saying this is exactly how I want you to play and this is the blueprint for attacking? Or is that a little bit of the players not taking a bit of responsibility and going, well, I could play tight wide, but I'm 20 yards away from goal and I've got a shot here. Yeah. I don't know. But either way, summit isn't working and you can't change the players overnight. Unfortunately, it's the manager. I don't think he will go. I think he'll get at least the medals per game. Yeah, that that's that that I I'm thinking Middlesbrough game is two is two league games, two cup games away. Um yeah. now do we I asked the question on the pod, if we get thumped four 0 by Bolton, does that matter? No, for me. Couldn't care less. But, Couldn't care less if we get thumped by Bolton and Stevenage and go and put X sword. <laughs> But if you get thumped by him both, do you think he survives the Exeter? I do, yeah. Fair enough. I think he's got all the medals per game at least. And Regardless, that is at least. So if, if he lost all four of them, he's got that medals per game? I think he has. I think there's a... And I'm not saying that this is what I would do. I think yeah. he's got... So then I think there's a view that he's earned the right to manage in the quarterfinal of the cup because he's got us there. And at first, I thought, you know what's a fair point? He probably has got the right to manage that. But then I look at it and we haven't beat anyone. And that's not a criticism because you can only beat what's in front of you. You can't go and knock a championship side out of the cup if you don't draw one. So it's no criticism. And when those down the road were, oh, you've only got there because you haven't played anyone, you can only beat what's in front of you. If the draw doesn't give you the big tie, you can't play a big tie. Yeah. So he has got us there. I'd be more inclined to go down the route that he deserves the game if we'd have beaten someone to get there. Yeah. And I hope that makes sense because I know it sounds absolutely batshit crazy. No, I know what you mean. It's like if we would have lost one of the games that we'd that we'd that we'd won, you would have been asking more questions, wouldn't you, than yeah. you you are at winning. I think Stu mentioned yesterday, like no matter how good Mansfield were on that run at the, at the time, you'd still be expecting us to go there and and beat them. And yeah. if they come up at this point, they'd be struggling like us in this league because they're a decent side for League Two. But it we we know how much it's different. We we witnessed that last year. So yeah, and I keep hearing he's been let down by the recruitment X Y Z and. When it comes to strikers, purely strikers, you could argue that. But if you look at that squad and compare it to last year's squad, for me, this squad is streaked ahead of last year's. And people go, well, they can't because the results aren't there. But Conor Ripley is an upgrade, and that's no one's going to argue anything different there. The sure. Yak, Jason Lowe at the back, Deb, Kofi, upgrades for me. You then go yep. to... Connor Grant, I know he's got his injury problems, but when he's fit, is an upgrade. And yeah, you can't legislate for injuries, but we should have known coming in, he played nine games last year, we need cover for him. So you could say he's been let down there. Mitch Clark, is he an upgrade on Mars? When fully fit and firing, he's an equal for me, but not necessarily an upgrade. But then you look at midfield, all blasted, divine. Reese Waltz is coming through. Ojo has stepped up a level. Garrity has now stepped up a level. Cheslet upgrade. So for me, we've got upgrades everywhere, bar strikers. 
And I think you yeah. should have the discussions on the pods because I've listened back to all the pods that I wasn't on. And it's the strike of the problem, is it, that we're not creating for them? I think it's a bit of both. And I think we probably aren't creating for them because we don't trust them. But for me, we have got the players there to create a lot more than we are. So that says to me it's down to the manager, not the players. Mm, and this squad shouldn't be 19th in League One. This squad should be a comfortable mid-table. You look at Stevenage, are in the top six. Our squad is better than theirs for me. The difference is they're getting the ball forward, putting it in dangerous areas and scoring goals. Now, I'm not saying we should be top six. Stevenage are overachieving for me, but we're well underachieving. And we should be a comfortable mid-table side. And the fact that we aren't says to me there's a problem with the style of play, creating chances and obviously scoring goals. And we know our strikers aren't going to score as one goal between them this season. Yeah, and that, that... I think I'm I'm torn a little bit between where the I don't want to say blame lies, but we do overplay it. And when you've got Willow there, you can overplay it. He's a good enough footballer for, to to let you overplay it. Yeah, but when you've got Uchun off there, you've you've got to be different. And we just we just don't seem clever enough at the minute to to be different. And I think that's. That's where my struggles at at the minute is like it just seems to be from players who are supposedly going to play at the top level. Yeah, in the divine and all blaster, for example, we still don't seem intelligent enough. Yeah, with the ball to to go hang on a minute. This need this needs to change in game and. I, I get it's odd if your manager's come out and said, right, I want you to do this, this and this. But the best footballers in the world change games. Yeah. And with you, and this is where I think, are we overcoached? Because they only want to do that pattern of play. No one wants to go, well, wait a minute, let's have a crack from here. Or is that just down to confidence? Because we've lost, well, we've picked up three points in 11 in the league. Yeah, I think I think it's confidence. I really do. And like I said, I wanted to work for Crosby. I really, I'm not in the position where I want us to lose to get in the sack. I'd love him to turn it round. I just can't see it. Yeah. But just... something needs to happen. And I do think Carol will want to support him 100% as much as she can. But I also think she will have in the back of her mind, and this is me just thinking, I don't know anything. Obviously, Carol doesn't ring me and says, but this is what I'm thinking. So it's me just guessing. I think she'll also be wary if she knows that she waited and she's openly admitted she hung on too long with Asky. Yeah, um, that's I think that's a that's a big, big a big sticking point, isn't it? it? It's when is the right time? Yeah, and if you're looking at the January window, the right time isn't wait till Middlesbrough, then sack him and bring someone else in. If that's what they plan to do, who knows? Yeah. We could get to Middlesbrough. We could have. Beat Stevenage, beat Bolton, beat Exeter, and beat Wigan. Yeah, and we could have scored more goals in them four games than we've scored all season. We could. Collect. I can't see it. I hope we have. I really do hope we have, and I hope it's all smiles, rainbows, lollipops. But it's just a real tough position at the moment, isn't it? And I don't begrudge Carol having all this on it. Well. <laughs> Flickcroft's in charge of the football, isn't he? So, yes, but I don't believe he'll be able to sack the manager without Carol say so. 
Yeah, I don't think he will, but he he will be the one shouldering this conversation at the minute for me. Yes, it'll be his recommendation either way, I think. Yeah. But yeah, but, real interesting times and neither of us against Stevenage. No, neither, neither of us are, so... Um, £22, no concessions. Yeah. That's that why we're not going, by the way. We've just both already got plans before the draw was made, haven't we? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to gig that I was supposed to have gone about 14 times already, so... Yeah, maybe we'll um, make this time. And I've got a Christmas yeah. do at the Vale, funnily enough, upstairs. You have Christmas due in, in um, January. Um, January? Well, it may as well be. It's, it's, that, it's that far away from Christmas, mate. 2nd of December? It's 23 days away. Well, that's my first Christmas due at the Vale, and that's with the friends I went Ben home with. Yeah. And then I'm there again on the 15th of December for the work's Christmas due. Bloody hell, look at you, social butterfly. Oh, no, you know me. I do your Christmas do. Just a quick and while we're on about do's, it's not the Christmas do or anything, but Sunday this week, we will be in Johnny's bar having a game of dominoes. We've got the upstairs room. So two o'clock, if anyone's about, Amos will be there, I'll be there, Gadge will be there. And I'll just text everyone else that said they were coming, just remind them. But yeah, Sunday, two o'clock upstairs in Johnny's. Who's there? The world will fall like dominoes. Yeah, and that's this Sunday, which is the 2nd of December, 3rd of December, Sunday the 3rd of December. Sunday the 3rd of December, there you go, you'll be, you'll, you'll be there playing your dominoes. Yeah. But, so, let's crack on with what we're here for. Um, You and Kirsty have had a bit of an adventure out today, haven't you? We have. What a brilliant, brilliant adventure out. And obviously, we've already given away where we've been in. We went round to John Rudge's house to record a podcast. So the podcast is now proud owners of a couple of microphones. So hopefully the sound is okay. We'll see how it turns out, but let us know. But yeah, we've done, we're there for a good three hours and Dal Blesser had made us some cake and coffee and tea and his daughter was there and Lisa and, you know, welcomed us in. And then we sat in John Rudge's lounge and recorded a podcast with him, which hopefully you'll hear and it's how excited me and Kirsty was because, as I say on the podcast, for a lot of kids today, we talk about my gaffer and my gaffer all over social media. Well, John Rush was my gaffer growing up, and it was great to spend three hours in his company. Podcast an hour and a half, so you can tell we were gassing before and after. But, yeah, really enjoyed it. And Kirsty did too. What a cracking afternoon we've had. Yeah, I was, I, I was going to say, it's, it's one of them, isn't it? It's like you spent that much time, but you're actually not there that long. <laughs> Yeah. Um could have been there all day, you could have. Oh, I could have been. Could have been quite easily. And I will say that we've tried to touch on things that aren't in the book. Yeah. Because we didn't want to give away the book and give away all the chapters of the book. So you can go in, as we say on the podcast, the best place to buy it from is either the Port Vale shop or to cap it all. Don't buy it from Amazon or anywhere else because none of that money goes towards the statue. Whereas if you buy it from to cap it all or the shop, Money does go towards the John Rudge statue. Yeah, well, and that's it. And we're doing something a little bit differently with this one. We um, we're not uh, we're not putting it behind a paywall because a it's too much faff, yeah. and b I don't want to force people to pay for to pay for anything. Yeah. Um, 
But what we are trying to do is we're trying to carry on the theme of raising money for the statue. It's it's with obviously the interviews with with the person that the statue is going to be about. So John's let you and Kirsty into his house for the morning. Um, and what we're doing is a bit of an honesty listen. So we're asking if you listen to the podcast, just donate. Um, the minimum donation is two pound. The, the idea that we had first was just a pound, just a little bit of something. So if you can, um, just donate two quid to the to, to the um, just giving site that we set up. Um, that will that, that will share out with it. And let's say it's an honesty one. I'm not going to be knocking on anyone's door saying, "Oi, you've not done it," because I I know that people in England have listened, and that's as far as my um, my ability goes. I might yeah. be able to. Listen, not donated um because of the canadian one or or nathan or nathan them in down under but yeah but nah i'm, I'm a bit stumped then so yeah you can donate that'd be great but as i say we're not forcing anyone no we're not forcing anyone it's not something we're going to do regular same well if you can donate to listen please do if we plan on doing it regularly we do it through something like patreon we don't want to we do it for free we don't take any money out of any of the podcasts that we do, and we've been doing it for how many years now, John? Is it three years we've been doing it for? Yeah, three, three, I think three years, and we've had a pizza out of the fund. Yeah, we had a pizza out of the fund before the quiz, and we've seen yeah. everyone's Spotify's coming through, they're attacking us 6,000 minutes, etc. How you can listen to this voice for that long, I don't know, but we provide you know entertainment what, for free. Go on. Do you know what someone worked out? Go on. In, 20, in, in, in 2023, they've listened to us for... 29 days wow so we've actually spoken for it for a month and probably a month and a half the amount that we rabble on before and after we've actually recorded as well yeah probably so That's, yeah i don't need a message do i johnny i just get you knacking me for a month and a <laughs> half a year exactly it's like i don't know if that, how, how we have time to do anything else that's it but yeah we never charge we don't want charge we do it for free so again it's an honesty one if you can't afford but you still want this and obviously we get times of hard cost of living etc but we would really appreciate just a couple of pounds or whatever you can to listen to the john rudge hour and a half podcast i really really enjoyed it and we touch on some of the high points and some of the low points of his time at Vale. There we go, and so we'll hand over to you again, Bez. Um, I think you started off. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll hand over to you, and we'll say to every everyone, thank you for listening. Have an ale and up the veil. Welcome to the Ale and Veil podcast. Um, it is Thursday. I've lost track of days because I've been in the country since the 30th of November, and we're heading into December now. But we're here for a very special podcast, and a lot of the youth today on social media talk about my gaffer, my gaffer. Well, growing up, we've got a podcast today with my gaffer, Sergio John Rush, and I'm joined by Kirst. Kirst, how are you? Hey up, Bez. Um, how's your week been? Oh, brilliant, brilliant. Did the off, really chuffed. Well done. Now up to 1395, to 1395 for running the Benidorm off. So yeah, over the moon with that, and yeah, just waiting now for the money to come over from the site, and then I can send it over to the sports club, or for the statue for this man here, John Rush. So Kirst... Tell us a bit about the book. 
Well, and I, what, what you're doing for it. Yeah, well, I'm halfway through the John Rudge book at the minute. And the reason for that is because I don't want to finish it too soon. So I'm like, I keep going to it and then going to something else. And I don't want it to end because when you're sort of in our, our age bracket, Bears, yeah. and you're sort of later, mid, late 30s, You've been bought up in the 90s and you've been a little bit spoiled. Yeah, very spoiled. So, yeah, basically, um, <clears throat> the John Rudge book is is kind of why we're here today. We wanted to hear a little bit from John from his time, mainly at the Vale, but obviously all the, all the other places. And we wanted to hear a little bit about what sort of motivated him for to to write the book. So yeah. we'll introduce you, John. Thank you very much for yeah. inviting us over to your house and um and for speaking to us it's a pleasure to have you yeah i'm fantastic and sort of and obviously with uh, what the supporters have always done for me and sort of you were involved in that as well it's um it's great to see you so starting then with the book what sort of motivated you to decide at this stage to to write and, and finish the book well as i left port vale in 2000 I'd written 15 chapters with uh, with Chris Harper. If you remember, he used to be yeah. the sports writer um, for the Sentinel. Unfortunately, he's died now. And we've written 15 chapters, and I was going to cross the Great Divide. And so I said to Chris, I said, I think, I think we'd best leave it, Chris. You know, I'm just leaving it at the moment. But anyway, I'd uh, got the book uh, with 15 chapters in the cupboard at home. My two daughters kept on saying to me, when are you going to finish that book, Dad? I said, nah. I said, I'm not going to bother with that now. I said, you know, I've about my time now. But anyway, when the supporters said that they were going to build a statue for me, I was greatly honoured. But then when they said it was going to cost £100,000, I said, £100,000? I said, how the heck are they going to be able to find that? I mean, <laughs> how things are at the moment with the cost of living and everything else. Um, I said, so... But anyway, there's um, an author called Simon Lowe, who was actually a Stoke supporter. And um, Dave had spoke to him and he said, would I like to write the book? And I says, I'll tell you what. I says, I've got 15 chapters already written. I says, and you can use that. I says, if you could write the book. And I said, what I could do then, I said, I could donate uh, the money we could raise from the book to the statue. And that would help the supporters. So that's exactly what we're doing. And so the committee and that have been absolutely fantastic. You know, they're doing exceptionally well at the moment in time. I think they've risen something like about 60, 70,000 pounds. It's incredible, really. You know, I, I can't thank them enough for the efforts and what they're doing. And so that's what we're doing. I hope that people will enjoy the book. There's all the stories in there of my great times that I've had for myself at Port Vale, and hopefully that uh, they will enjoy it as well. Yeah, and I've got to say, I've already finished the book, and it was one of the quickest books I've ever read because I just <laughs> couldn't put it down. I'm normally a chapter and night kind of person, and I've finished the book. So we had a chat off air, and there's some stuff I asked you off air, that thank you, and we are going to try and not go over stories in the book because we want people to go out and buy it. But don't buy it from Amazon, and that's nothing against Amazon. Go to Capital, because that's where the funds are being generated towards the statue. If you get it from Amazon, then the money doesn't go towards the statue. So if you can, to Capital, go to there and buy the book from there. 
Any, they can buy it in the shop as well. Yes, they the shop. In the shop as well, but yes. as I say, you're, you're exactly right. They're going from capital.com. It does give the uh, the actual proceeds to the actual tell to the statue. So we'd be very grateful if they went on that course. Yeah. And we're really grateful to you all from the supporters club. I know you mentioned Dave Thorley there that helped to get it off the, the ground, John. We are really grateful to you for finishing it for, so, so that it can help towards the statue, but also so that we can all relive some of these stories. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah, very much so. And what we will say, this podcast, we don't charge for Ale and Bale podcast. We never have. We never will. But if you listen to the podcast, you enjoy it, please go over to the supporters club somewhere that you can donate curves towards the statue. Yeah, so um, we'll probably get something. We, we'll go and get something up, I think, for we'll our night um, in December. But the yes. other ways you can support it is by buying a book. There's also some mugs that are out that are great for Christmas now. Yes, um, you can get them from the club shop. And we've also got a new badge out, the John Rudge Legend badge. And you can get that from the Crown in Bearsland. Yeah, all my just giving pages still open from the Benidorm off, which I don't have shut down yet, but it lasts for 120 days. If I can't shut it down, that'll still be open. So please donate towards the statue. Now let's get into the interview. So we'll go question each case. Do you want to start? Okay, so we'll start off with then. Um, best player you've ever managed? Well, the best player I've ever managed, I had to sign them first before I managed them. And sort of, and I'd like to sort of mention that one or two other players because I was very fortunate to have some fantastic players that I think. At that time, it's all changing on now, the, the football era. I used to be out three or four nights a week at um, looking for players and sort of in their meetings, sort of uh, making contact with everybody. Um, I must admit, I mean, my wife said she brought the kids up. I mean, the thing is that I was, uh, I was here, there and everywhere. I was very fortunate to bring some really, really good players here and sort of... Uh, and people that keep asking me, so well, they, they, this is the thing, they try to tie me down and say to me, who is the best player you ever signed, John? You know, we had some good players and things like that, but who was the best player you ever signed? And I, was, I said, yeah, well, I said, I'll tell you what, I said, you know, I never ever wanted to sort of just bring one player out of all those players which have done so brilliantly for me and just bring one player out. And so I used to say to them, I said, you know the best plan signing I ever made? I says, that was my wife. And then they all start laughing. I says, I'm telling you now. You know, so that is all the way I get away with that. Yeah. So, I mean, when the likes of I've had so many good players there, you talk about Glover, Aspin, Foyle, Naylor, Porter, Walker, Beckford. You know, I mean, I can go through all, all, all the ones who were, were very fortunate to to get and sort of and I sort of go out at night time sort of watching matches all the time to try and sort of you know, I mean that's it's changed a great deal now I mean I I very rarely ever uh, signed a player unless I've seen him play myself mm. sort of and uh, it, it worked for me and sort of and so was, they did a brilliant job for me the players and also you know the supporters sort of backed me very well as well so I've been very fortunate. So when just as a bit of a follow up to that, because it sounds like you had, you always get the impression you had a great relationship with the players, and I I always feel as though you you were very much arm round the shoulder type manager with the players, but it feels as though you were almost like 30, 40 years before your time. In in the eighties, nineties, managers weren't really 
like that and you were a bit more you you kind of got the best out of people because you were so sort of good to them is that a fair assessment and did you ever really get mad no i mean you, the, some of the players wouldn't say that don't worry about that <laughs> <laughs> i mean you can never keep everybody happy you know i mean out of the plays you sign if i used to say if i could get seven out of ten right that to them i think that would be a good judgment now you're going to get somebody where you're going to sort of uh, who are going to be, be able to sort of you can keep on the on the straight and narrow some who are going to be a very difficult to handle and sort of and so they're all different you know players are all different you know and sort yeah. of and you have to sort of sometimes you have to sort of change your your way you treat them or, or sort of uh, <clears throat> To sort of some who, who would be able to accept what you say to them, somebody would be you know be, be depressed with what you said to them. Mm. So, um, and hopefully that was uh, the thing which hopefully which I had some very good players which I scouted with and you know I had the help from my my staff and sort of and I was very very fortunate to have the players which I had. Yeah, and we talk about best signings that there's a lot of stories in the book and I don't want you to go over them now because I want people to go to the book and buy them about the tactics that you used to sign players back in the day and some of them tactics are brilliant and I've got to say to everyone listening if you haven't heard the story about the Ian Taylor signing and what went on after if you buy the book for nothing else I howled to <laughs> that story absolutely love that story so yeah that's yeah. A, a player that you picked up for very cheap that went on to play at the highest level in the Premier League no that was a great story because I mean the thing is I went to, to it was a um Paid fifteen thousand for him, but I mean, how it happened is that uh, uh, Ray Williams, who actually helped me a great deal, um, he was an ex-player and used to do a bit of scouting for for us. Uh, he went, uh, I sent him to, to watch a, a player playing non-league, and uh, he he come back to me. He says, "Oh, he says um, you've got no chance to sign him. He says you're going to sign for the Wolves next week." So I said, "Oh, yeah." He said, "But I said there was a lad who played pretty well. I called Ian Taylor." So I said, oh, yeah. So I said, oh, well, let's have another look at him. So we went over to, to West Brom to watch him. They were playing in a, in a, in a, a local football, um, cup tie. Don't go there. And who should be there with the Notts County chairman? And don't give any more away. Let the people read the book and pick up the story <laughs> yeah. from there. Because, because the, story is, was... the story is absolutely incredible. And yeah. Especially with uh, Ian Taylor. Finished up being a really, really good player. Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. for fifteen thousand and be sold him for near on a hundred thousand. Yeah. And sort of, and as I say, that story. Um, and I hope you enjoy that because uh, it was one of, uh, um, one of my. Well, well, I mean, I had some very good players who I signed, but I mean, Ian Taylor was a really good player for us. Yeah, he's brilliant. And for those that don't know, the Knox County manager at the time was Neil Warnock, who also features in the story. So go and get the book and listen to that. Well, read that. Um, right, so, John, there's so much to talk about, but we're going to focus on Bale. But before we do, reading your book, you were a goal scorer. Many Bale fans won't know that about you. They just know you're as the gaffer. So, in your days playing, what was the favourite goal you'd ever scored? Well, I was a player. At 15, I left home at Wolverhampton. I was desperate to be a footballer. I went to Huddersfield Town. I was lucky enough um, to meet my wife. Uh, she had a hairdresser shop across from my digs, and she was always looking through the windscreen, looking up there. I knew she fancied me. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so um, um, that was how I started. Went to Huddersfield, uh, went to Huddersfield, then Carlisle, then down to Torquay, uh, then to Bristol Rovers, 
Um, and then you're talking about sort of uh, was my favourite ever goal, and that was probably the one when we were playing for Bristol Rovers against Manchester United in the FA Cup, and uh, we actually played them at home first, got a draw. We had to take them back up to up to Manchester, um, and who should be in goal was Alex Stepner, you know, and sort of anyway, cross ball came across, and sort of I'm, I'm, I managed to be, I was useful in in the air, you know. I mean, I was thinking, oh, that's how I lost all my hair. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I managed to get a good header and beat Alex and we, we beat them 2-1. So I would say that that was probably one of my favourite goals and one of my favourite matches when we beat Manchester United in the uh, the League Cup, um, which was uh, obviously quite an achievement at that time. So, I mean, that was uh, probably, I would say, that was the best goal I scored. Yeah, not many people can say they scored at Old Trafford. No, I mean that was uh, that was okay. I mean, my playing career was a um, I was a little bit disappointed because I always wanted to be a footballer at fifteen. I was desperate to be a player, and that's why I left at fifteen and went to Huddersfield. And then thinking about like I look at my grandson, I think, oh, do he left leave home at fifteen and then go all the way there, living in digs and not know a soul. And um, but I was that desperate to want to do it, and sort of and so uh, that's how that, that's how it happened. Sort of. Uh, so I was being very lucky after the Huddersfield times and then going and actually being scoring that goal at Manchester United was uh, all part and parcel of my football career. But I wasn't, I was, I mean, I was injury prone, you know, I was injury prone and sort of, uh, I used to pull a muscle, put a new tracksuit on. <laughs> and uh, um, that was a, a big factor for me. Um, and sort of so when my playing career sort of finished and then sort of I was I'd done a lot of coaching when I was playing when I was even at Carlisle at 23 24 I'd got my full badge and I was interested I was taking to coaching young boys and whether at that age as well and sort of when I finished because of injury um, I was only about 32 but I'd done my Achilles tendon and it was 15 months and then the the physical Physiotherapy in those days wasn't the greatest, you know, and sort of I was 15 months out with an Achilles tendon when I was at Bournemouth. I used to be running along the, this, the beach at uh, Bournemouth, you know, nice nice weather, whatever, think about this, but, um, and sort of I thought, what am I going to do now, you know, I'd, I'd even sort of got back to my old sort of region of having a stall on the market, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, but, um, I then went to Hoods, uh, to Torquay <clears throat> as a coach, and then sort of when I was there, I then moved on to then coming up. John McGrath rang me while I was at my sister's at Wolverhampton, and I, just, I don't know if he got the address and grabbed the phone number, but I mean, I'd met John before, a little short and whatever, and he said, come and have a chat with me, you know? John McGrath was a, he was a character, John, you know I mean? When I came and she said, come on, we went to the area, you know, I thought, well, poor Valvin, we're bottom of the fourth division. You would have thought, the way John was talking, we were going to win the Premier League. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he was uh, he was a, a real character in himself, you know, and he's, uh, he was a very good player uh, when he was playing himself. He was finished coming from Southampton. Um, and you would call him uh, a, a character, you know, and so there was one time when actually John actually sort of, uh, he put all the players on the, on the transfer list, a lot of them, when he was at Port Vale. 
you know. So I mean, he was very disciplined, very very can be aggressive. <coughs> he was uh, character in himself, John, and sort of sadly died actually. Uh, and it was the time and uh, um, after he had actually left, and his his wife rang me and sort of said, uh, "Would you speak to her at his funeral?" So, I wasn't keen to actually do that because there was quite a lot of people there, a lot of newspaper guys there, and sort of, uh, um, I said, oh yes, I, I was up all night trying to rehearse what I was going to say, yeah, and so, but I mean, um, then I went there and sort of, uh, John was one, when he was a player, he used to say to the centre forward, because he was a centre half, he says, uh, uh, are you still in Booper? Because he was a bit of a booter, you know. He, <laughs> he he used to really tattle them hard, and they finished up sort of somewhat of them had to go for hospital. <laughs> um, but there was a character, and so obviously we had good times from then. Got promotion while John was here, um, and then sort of the next season on, I can recall we had a real poor spell, <clears throat> and. I think that we got sort of uh, very few points from about 18 goal uh, games and sort of then sort of uh, the board decided to sack John. And while John was actually in that period where we went, got promoted, he was ill. And I had uh, a spell while I was in charge of the team for six games. We won five and drew one. I think that did help me in sort of uh, managing to get the authority from the board of directors actually to be the manager yeah when john left and sort of so but i i remember john with a great affection he was difficult at times with uh, um his approach and he was he was quite aggressive with the players and whatever but i mean i was very grateful for him to bring me here which obviously finished up being a fantastic career for me yeah so you've talked us through a lot of how you kind of got to the veil there in, in sort of initial years um and then things did did kind of move for you um in 83 Vale was sort of rooted bottom of the division um and you became manager so was that like a baptism of fire what how did that feel um, well, it was obviously, I mean, that period where we had that spell the season before when we got promoted probably helped me for the directors to sort of give me the opportunity to actually be the manager. And sort of, so I was very grateful for that. Players responded very well for me and sort of we, we had a spell there from being bottom of the league with a, a very, very few points to a place where we got, a, we got out of the bottom four. But unfortunately, we didn't manage to uh, continue that on finished up getting relegated but the uh, board of directors had seen enough of, uh, for me to sort of think that I could carry on and sort of stay as manager so that's what uh, what happened yeah um I don't know whether that's Alex Ferguson or the <laughs> <laughs> But um, sorry, Alex, I'm busy. <laughs> <laughs> if you could sort us out with a strike, then, uh, we'll yeah, take it. Yeah. Um, but um, no, uh, so I'm take over as manager. We have a bit of a spell, but we still get relegated. I mean, we we got very few number of points for the games we'd had. I think about five or six points to about eleven or twelve games, 
but so we got relegated. And so that was the start then, and then uh, of my managerial career at Port Vale. And uh, it was um, a difficult task, but, uh, you know, I, I sort of straight away got hold of a couple of players and said to them, look, you know, you're going to start this. Can you help? You know, I tried to get to as much as I could to be the players. Um, and sort of uh, then sort of the start of actually sort of then progressing, getting good players at the club um, for little money and selling them on and actually then getting promotion um, into the next league and further on from there. So that was the start of actually how it all happened of me actually becoming the manager at Port Vale. Yeah. And you talk about the signings. Two of your first signings were Robbie Hill and Mark Bright. Um, gave Vale a glimpse, Vale fans a glimpse of sort of the rough diamonds that you were going to get and polish up. And I think it's fair to say both went on to have good careers, Mark Bright and the Premier Robbie Hill and the World Cup. Um, what do you remember of them early signings? They were fantastic players. Robbie was actually actually at Stoke. And yeah. then we took him from Stoke. He then let him go. I met him in my wicket there, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and sort of, uh, he did very well for us. Mark Wright was actually playing part-time. He was working. I can remember the incidents where I used to be taking uh, Mark Wright Robbie Earl and Andy Shankland in um, afternoons and coaching them and in the gym and whatever because Brighty was actually part-time. He was working. He was... I've never known anybody desperately uh, to be a player and go on to do it because Mark Brighty, I used to be taking him and I said, come on then, Brighty, it was about half past four or five o'clock. And sort of, I said, come on, then. oh, no, I, I want to be, do a bit more, I used to say to me, you know, and I said, oh, go on, mate, right here, yeah. you know, I've got to get on the tee. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, no, he was an uh, exceptionally good player, played the first, and he scored quite a few games, and then he got tapped up by another club, and sort of, um, I wasn't happy with that, really, because I wanted him desperately to stay, but he moved on, and uh, had a tremendous career, and... Yeah. Uh, I would say that he was a very determined player. Was and Robbie Robbie Earl was a fantastic lad as well. Um, now he's actually in America. Yeah, yeah, he's in America. We are doing a lot of work on television and things like that. Robbie was a was a great player for the club and for me. Um, and uh, <clears throat> you know, I think that we can always illustrate that photo him sitting down when we got promotion. You know, yeah. when we won that won that last game. It was, uh, it was fantastic. I'm really pleased he, he's uh, doing very well over in America. Um, and he was an exceptionally good player, actually, for us in those times when we, we had a really good spell. Yeah. So thinking about that time, then, you just sort of touched on it, 85, 86. It was before mine and Bez's time. I think we were just being born then. Just being born 86. <laughs> yeah, 85 for me. Um, you signed Andy Jones. I know lots of Vale fans who are a bit older than us, and um, we've had an Andy Jones night at the Vale probably 15 years ago, and people would go on and on about Andy Jones. You signed him for a massive three grand, um, yeah. and that was when we, we gained promotion. Um, and, and you've just mentioned Robbie here. We've all seen that picture. It's on the side of the club shop now where he's sat in the tunnel, and you can just see the emotion that, that he's got having gained promotion there in the tunnel. What do you remember about this time gaining promotion and, and the playoffs and how did how did that your real taste of success as a manager 
how did that compare to your time as as a player? It was um, as a player, I would probably say that my, my injury situation was that uh, um, let me down badly in the sense that I mean I, I didn't play as many games as I'd like to do, and I didn't score as many goals. I scored quite a lot, few goals, I'm not saying I don't know, but. Um, I uh, I had an injury problem which which uh, you know didn't help me when I was playing, and when I got into management, you know I was very fortunate to go to Paul Bell, John McGrath giving me here, and then getting the opportunity actually to to actually sort of go on and continue on uh, from there, and I think the difference between actually being manager and being a player was that uh, I wouldn't get injured. <laughs> <laughs> That was that was a big factor for me, and sort of, and then we had the, I was able to sort of go and recruit the players that were, because I always maintain, and we talked about Andy Jones, and that was the one, and sort of, and I have to give credit to Del, my wife, because I mean, I'd been tipped off about Andy Jones, and I went to watch him one game, and I wasn't hundred percent sure about it. And that's the time when, I, as I said, I used to go and watch the players myself all the time. They didn't have all this sort of thing. Situations you have now, where they have everybody's watching everything on the on the television screen, yeah. you know, and then the yeah. computer or whatever. Things like that. I like to go and watch them, sort of. Uh, so you're watching them straight away when in yeah. match like conditions, you know. Yeah. And sort of, and then sort of, uh, I decided that uh, we were going to go to. I said, I tell her, I said, how do you fancy taking the kids? We'll go to Rill. I said, and, uh, <laughs> and so take the kids and we'll take them onto them on the beach. I said, I'm going to watch this match. Sorry about that. Was there, <laughs> Lo and behold, I mean, I get there and sort of Andy, uh, uh, Andy Jones is sitting on the bench. He's got a big stocking on his leg. Oh, God, so scared of me. I've come to watch him again. He's, he's not playing. Anyway, half time, I said, come on, love. I said, we've looked at the kids off the beach. You know, so, and she says, no. She says, she says uh, we've uh, we come all this way. She says, and you, 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 have to stop, you might as well stop all the game. So anyway, Andy come on about 20 minutes oh. to go. And so he come on, he cracked this ball against the crossbar. I'm thinking, God, so he said a couple of balls. And I thought, I'm going to sign him. Yeah. I, said, I, I, I spoke to them after the game and sort of said, uh, yeah, what about him? And I think we managed to deal for 15,000 pounds, you know, and sort of, and sort of. So, um, Arsenal were interested in taking him as well. And so I had to fly through him a couple of days later and get to his house and get him to sign the contract. Would, sure. would it be you personally doing that? Oh, yeah, I was doing that. Yeah, I was doing that. Yeah, with the, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I was doing that. I jumped on the knock on the door. Hey, Andy, come on. So I did that after my inches. I was making sure that I was going to get there first. Yeah. You had a lot of jobs, didn't you, compared to now? There's so many different people in those kinds of roles. Oh, my God. It's just in comparison to us. I mean, this was myself. There's a couple of them. Williams helped me a great deal and sort of had one or two other. Um, scouts would help me, and then in the office, the the veil, we only had probably two or three staff, you know. Yeah. And sort of in comparison to it now, I mean, the owners are exceptionally good now, but on the staff and that now, in comparison, there must be 15, 20 people in the office. You know, and I'm yeah. thinking, dearly, mate, when I was actually here, I used to have to take my letters and so if I wanted to write, and I used to have to write them myself and give them to Estelle to type. <laughs> That's that's the difference how yeah. things have yeah. gone now, and sort of the, the club at the moment in time, in comparison to when I was there, is, is unbelievable. 
It's mainly run well. We've got two fantastic mm. owners there with Carol and Kevin. Yeah. And sort of and the staff and that and sort of it. Um, the supporters can be, you know, very lucky to have a situation where mm. we've got decent owners, whatever, yeah. and they've got the heart and soul in the club. Yeah. 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 I can't I can't support those words enough, really. We've seen some different people come and go. I know obviously you had your your time with you know yeah. with Mr. Balb and, and even people post him and yeah. we are we, we know we're lucky, don't yeah. we, to yeah. have um owners that we've got now and what you described there about how things have changed behind the scenes it'll be the same at, it's not just at the veil it's yeah, the same at every exactly. club it's just yeah. how things are yeah that's it exactly the same it's, been, it's changed entirely but like when you when you sort of uh, uh, managers looking for players i used to be there you know going out, out all the time now they they know that you better rarely see managers at, at, the, at the matches you know because they've got um, scouts which uh, you know, which mainly they're looking on the on the computer, you know, and, and yeah. the iPad, whatever, and, and and things like that, which I never did. Um, but I mean, that's how times have changed for everyone. Yeah, definitely, definitely. definitely. And we talk about times changing. The next promotion came, and it was through the playoffs with Bristol Rovers. Was that the first year of the playoffs? It was early doors, wasn't it, to the playoffs? And that's where the Robbie Earl pitch come from in the tunnel. What do you remember about that time and going up through the playoffs? Oh, it's great. I mean, I think is that uh, going to the playoffs, we actually had to go down to Bristol Rovers and go down there and sort of play them, my old club. Um, and we managed to get a draw down there and then come back and sort of then beat them. I think it was 2 1, we beat them there. Um, and sort of, I think we used to do a lot of work on, on our, our near post corners. We used to, uh, I used to be at a thing where we had where people just used to drift the ball into the, just the near post and they used to get the slightest little flick on. And then, then we used to have. Uh, um, players coming in in the six yard box and getting onto that second ball. It was before my time, but was that the MBE Mills Beckford Earl? That, that, that was it, that was it, exactly. You've got it right, you know, your homework has been very good. Tell <laughs> <laughs> you've been reading the book. Yeah. I'm like I say, I've finished it. <laughs> no, I mean, that, uh, they were, um, they were we, used to, we used to work on that quite a lot. We used to, you know, go through a lot of training, training, training and whatever. To just have to just float the ball up, you know, and then get to the near post, a little slight little touch on, and then the next one comes in in the six yard box and finishes the job. Yeah. And sort of, they don't do it now. Can't understand why they don't, they don't, they don't, they don't. I mean, that's different changes. <laughs> You're talking to the right people here because on the podcast we do have a, a bit of a joke. Some of the other lads rip theirs quite a lot because how he loves his 4 4 2 formations. But I'm the same, and I think it's because. What we saw, the veil, the best yeah. in that era was, well, it was 4 4 2. Yeah. And I was looking at um, some YouTube clips earlier leading up and getting warmed up for this sort of interview. And I was thinking, you know, you've got Guppy and McCarthy on the wing and that 4 4 2, then pushing forward, pinging in. And you know who it's going to because you've got everyone in, sort of organised in that way. But I know we, we're perhaps, perhaps all three of us are a little bit old fashioned with that. And I appreciate modern football 4 4 2 probably wouldn't work much now nowadays however i still think two wingers with two center forwards getting crosses in and having center forwards that can go and attack the ball it's going to cause havoc in the opposition's box unfortunately not many sides are doing that now and i think a pitch like vale park cries out for it well it was i mean that was the case i mean we did go and play with three at the back though a lot of most of the teams are playing now we played that at wembley you know when i got uh, the likes of swanee glover and uh, aspen as three Great centre halves there, yeah. the three, and sort of so. Was the case that I wasn't, but 
when I had the wingers which I had, I thought that they, they demonstrated sort of how good and how positive they could be when, uh, when they got on the flanks, you know, Guppy, McCarthy, whatever, putting balls into the box, Foyle on the end of it, you know. <laughs> He's got nearly, nearly, well, I think nearly 100 goals, Foyle, mm -hmm. you know, and sort of, um, so, um, yeah, we were very fortunate to have those kind of players and are there and sort of obviously managed to them. And recruiting is the most important thing for me to get them players in. So, yeah, we, uh, great memories. Mm. Yeah. So then we moved to the, the 90s, which I think arguably were the, the sort of the, the best days and, well, they were in Vale's history. Yeah. And these are the times that Bez and I can really kind of remember being brought up. We were very much spoilt with that. And one of the things, you know, for us and lots of Vale supporters, I know you sort of mentioned it a little bit in the book, and we don't want, want to go on about it too much because we know there's a full chapter on this, but it's the only time where Vale were above Stoke. And, like, we could go to school. I know we didn't go to the same school, but you, yeah. you held your head high. And after a, a derby, you, or going into it, you kind of knew Vale had got a chance of, of winning and you just felt proud. People were going to work the next Monday and they, they were loving it because they could, like, give a bit of banter back and it had never been like that before, before then. So we don't want you to go into too much detail because we know there's a full chapter on all the Pottery's derbies and I have read that. I am through that and it's, it's great. Yeah, brilliant. But what we do want to ask is, what, what do you remember from the FA Cup game in particular and with that stuck in the mud moment where Stoke could have equalised? Yeah, I mean, we did have some great games at that time. Uh, uh, Lou McCurry, who uh, was, a, was obviously the manager there at a lot of the games, whatever. I got on really well with Lou. I mean, we were rivals and whatever death was there, but some of those games were fantastic in comparison to, I mean, the first time we played in local derbies for years and years. And so there were great events. That one you mentioned there was probably my favourite and the one that sticks out to me because I think it was withdrew after Stoke, I think, in the FA Cup, the first game. Brought them back. Lo and behold, we start the game off and then all of a sudden you have these torrential rainstorms, you know? Do you think it had been called off if the sky cameras weren't there. Obviously, today, they'd have never played it. But back then, do you think they'd have carried on if the sky cameras weren't there, or do you think they'd have called it off? I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, uh, possibly. Because, you, I mean, that time then, I mean, the hard ground was actually, you know, terrible to regard in sort of holding water. It was, it was really a mud, mud bath. I mean, uh, that was the time when I, when I talked about the Tottenham game when we played Tottenham, you know, and sort of I put a little bit of extra water on to say, <laughs> I mean, uh, um, it was that game when we played Stoke. Yeah, I mean, the, the the replay came and sort of uh, Neil Aspin had to be carried off um, because he had been, it was a terrible challenge on him, actually. Yeah. I think that he was yeah. very fortunate because he was a stronger boy. And somebody else that easily broke the leg, you know, in the, in the tackle which he had actually against him. Um, but in that game, I mean, it was absolutely fantastic. I think they went in front, I think, to start with, and then we equalised, and then sort of, and then 94 scored, I think. And then lo and behold, they were coming on and have a, a, an opportunity to actually sort of get a goal. He, he was just outside the penalty area. Our keeper had come out. And sort of missed, missed actually, missed connection of the ball. 
the ball was laying there. He, he struck the ball with the inside of his foot going straight for the goal. And all of a sudden, the puddle just before the six-yard box held it up. Thank goodness for that. <laughs> and I think Swanee said in his book he didn't know where the clearly to stand there laughing and he kind of did both. <laughs> well, that was it. That was um, that was it. It was the best defender we ever had. That puddle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was a it was a great game. That was, and then we finished up, finished up, and Foyle finished finished them off with a, with a fantastic goal, which uh, you know those local derbies were fantastic, really. And so we had uh, we had some good success against Stoke. And to compare, it had been what thirty years since we would really had any local derbies. It was great occasion. For the poor bell supporters, actually, and then for the Stoke people to think, hold on a bit, we've got poor bells, so they compete against now. Um, so that was great days, great, great uh, competition, and also um, great events. I mean, the crowds were getting there, you know, got over 20,000, yeah, whatever, and things like that, and sort of, and then that sort of started galvanize the little sort of the old supporters, what used to. Don't forget, when I came, we were getting 2,000, yeah. And then we were getting um, gates in there. You know, some of the games which actually played, the Tottenham game, which we played in the FA Cup as well, you know, there were people who were, were actually they were broadcasting that all over the world then. So we would come from actually being a bottom of the, bottom of the fourth division to a club which was attracting the attention of, uh, of other teams, even in, in, abroad as well. So it was a great experience for us and sort of a great to actually move up into, into that kind of category. Mm. And then also during the 90s, obviously we went to Wembley three times. Um, never forget that first time with the autoglass. I've got photos that I look back with my dad, um, my stepmom and then a bit, you know, big group of us. And just as an eight year old, yeah. it was just... It I'm was, getting goosebumps now yeah. just thinking about it, Wembley. And it was just like amazing. I remember everybody going down on those coaches and you yeah. just, it's full. You see everyone with veil flags. The service stations on the way down was just ran black and white, every service station. And... Yeah. And then even after the game, I remember the open top bus. Yeah, around And we were all around, around Bursley. It was like the best festival ever. And as kids, but not just as kids, I also think of them who perhaps you know, we're older than us bears who perhaps saw a lot of rubbish for years and years. I was speaking to my mate Phil in the box um, the other night and we were talking about the 90s and the Rudgy era and he was saying, Kirst, we saw rubbish for years and then all of a sudden yeah. it was our veil at Wembley. And so, yeah, we had three three times we were at Wembley in the 90s and I guess, first of all, what were your sort of memories that when you knew that first time we are going to Wembley, how, how did that feel? Um, absolutely fantastic. I mean, you can imagine, like, I'd been a professional player. Um, you know, I'd been a star, you know, regarding that. I mean, I was an average player and sort of but was desperate to want to be a player, then coming in as, as, as a coach and then going to manager. Got a manager at Wembley, the first time the Paul Vale have ever been at Wembley, and obviously for myself. And uh, I can tell you the experience of actually, they've changed the entrance now for Wembley, actually. They've put it in the middle of the ground, but it used to be on the end. When you're sort of walking out with your team at the back of you, whatever, it's a really, really great experience to actually go there and to walk out there. Um, because I mean, I wasn't uh, as a player. I was not a superstar, and so so I never went. To, I never, never went to Wembley regarding sort of playing at Wembley. 
Um, so it was a, a tremendous sort of occasion for everyone and also the supporters, the first time they'd ever been and sort of an, uh, a great occasion for us. We've had some really good players in that team then, you know, and sort of we managed to manage to get that that uh, that win. Um, and I would say coming back with the, um, the coach trips we had all around the town and things like that, it was an tr absolutely tremendous occasion for me and my memory was absolutely highlighted by that. And sort of uh, that was the, the first one that um, the trip we had. Then we went there the next week. And so lo and behold, you know, obviously we had a um, big tough tie against West Brom. Had Swanee sent off. Yeah. That didn't help, but then finished up losing that. And honestly, I was sat in the dressing room after that with the players and whatever, and it was a really, really um, dour um, moment in, in, in that period. I'd have preferred, probably, to have lost the first game and won the next and got promotion. Yeah. But, I mean, you never know where it's going to go. I mean, I want to win both games, really. Mm -hmm. but, I mean, um, and... Um, it's a, it's a great occasion to, to actually go to Wembley, you know, I mean, you know, we've experienced that now in the, in the, in the, in the, in the team here when they got promotion um, last year. So, I mean, it, it is a, a tremendous occasion for the supporters uh, as well. It's lovely for them to go in there, see the, the outcome of that and to get success like we did. Um, um, it's, a, it's a thrill to play at Wembley. Mm. And, and, Obviously, like during that time, we've heard since stories from different players. I know Bernie Slaven's been speaking um, recently because we're, we're playing Middlesbrough coming up yeah. in, a, in a few weeks, and he's been speaking about that that era. And then also, both of you have mentioned Swanee a couple of times, and Swanee was a big personality around all of that. We've read in his book that um, before the Stockport game, there was there was some drinking. Um, and he was doing everything he could to kind of keep that from you. Was that something you were aware of and you knew about, or was it kind of as time went on, you grew to hear a bit more about it? No, it's a great story, this, isn't it? I mean, uh, no, um, I wasn't aware of that. And also, Swanee was a character, you know, I think I played um, a, a good feed for him from Leeds, you know, and sort of, and he was a very good player. He could play up front, he could play centre half. And he was all in that uh, era, yeah, exceptionally well. But he was he's a character, you know, there's no doubt about that. I mean, he's been to one or two years before, and he, he's, he's, he is a, a definite character. And in that period of time, um, the drinking culture was very apt, and, you know, regarding in football. You, 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 can, you can listen to people who were playing for Manchester United and whatever, and how they were drinking, or other players, you know, there's, there's a drinking culture then. In fact, we even had our own bar at, at Port Vale. <laughs> you know, we used to have a bar, and um, Mark Green used to be the barman. And I used to say, I used to say to them as well as I used to say to them, I said, look, if you get a clean sheet, I'll give you £20 for the clean sheet. Because I think that if you can get, I always used to say, 20 clean sheets, you get promotion. Yeah. And so I said to my so I said, if you get a clean sheet, I'll give you 20 quid. And then they could go in there because it was a pound a pint. Pound a pint in the in the in the actual. Can you imagine now a sort of sort of football club and sort of the players having their own bar, having their own goalkeeper pulling the pints yeah. actually in there? The drinking culture then in the game was actually incredible. I mean, the thing is that all the players 
Because you know, I wasn't a big drinker when I was playing. I mean, and I can imagine, I can tell you one one little story about when I'm talking about the yeah, about uh, when I was at, at Carlisle. We went down to Carlisle all the way down to to London, and the lads then we got there because you can imagine a coach ride from from Carlisle to London. Then we're in the hotel and said, "Come in, let's have." Um, Come on, Reggie. I said, where, where are you going? Said, oh, we're going down the pub. So, okay, well, fine, okay. So we go down the pub. And I was never a real a big drinker myself, you know, but the yeah. drinking culture at that time in my playing career was immense. And so they're coming down, they're sitting guts into this pub, and they said, right, what do you want, Reggie? I says, um, I'll have a sweet sherry. <laughs> <laughs> he says, a sweet sherry? He said, that looks right. He says, what the hell have you brought here? He said, he said, he said he's brought a tart here. He, says, <laughs> <laughs> he, wants a, he wants a sweet cherry. That's how, that's, how, <clears throat> that's how the culture was. Actually, then, <clears throat> there was a lot, a lot of drinking and things like that. And you read about it, don't you, how many times they've been there. But that, I think that's a really decline now. And they're a lot more responsible. I'm not saying they don't go out and have a, have mm. a drink and whatever, but it's, there's a lot more um, known that he was the, the drinking culture. Yeah. And at what point were you aware of Swanee's drinking on that night before Stockport? I didn't know at all. I mean, <laughs> that, what, what decision I would have made, actually, if I did have known, I don't know, because those three were very good, three central defenders, and they were the main out of the... Um, I don't know how, how I would have reacted, really. I didn't know anything about it, but they told me about it afterwards, you know, and so they said, Swanee's had a few few drinks, you know, last night, you know, with the wheel. I said, oh, did it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but as I said, it was uh, par for the course. Yeah. Players were drinking mm-hmm. on a regular basis, even on a Friday night. As I said, they used to go and have the, the, the day before the game and go and have a... Have a Few points before the game. Yeah. And didn't he win man of the match? Yeah. On that that yeah. game. Oh, and no, then obviously he, he, he was capable of doing that. He was capable of having a drink and still having a good game. <laughs> In hindsight, he should have been out drinking before the West Brom game he as well. Should have, should have done, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it didn't work out. So my favourite memory as a Vale fan always has been. I've spoke about it on the podcast many times. 1996. We played Everton. Everton are the FA Cup holders. They beat Man United at Wembley the year before, one 0 Paul Ride out with the goal. And we go to Everton away as cup holders and we get a last-minute equaliser through bogey. That's correct. And I was in the Everton end as a young lad because I couldn't get tickets to the Vale and jumped up when bogey scored. And my dad turned and looked at these scousers and they said, don't worry, we could tell from the accent he wasn't from Randy. <laughs> it's not like I've got a strong accent, is he? But, yeah. yeah, so I remember going to Everton, it was snowy. There was snow That's driving up to Merseyside. Yeah. And for a young lad, seeing the players like Daniel Amacarty, Andre Kinshelskis, Neville Southall, Dave Watson, you know, and the Vale are coming up against them. And we took that game to them. When Ferguson made it 2-1, got above Mussa, you thought, we've given it a good go, but getting out the cup here. Yeah. Got the equaliser back to Vale Park. Valentine's Day, 1996. <laughs> Mr Blobby was the Vale mascot then, before the days of booming. Oh. And Mr Blobby come out the tunnel, got on his back, roses are red, violets are blue. Everton won, Port Vale two. Yeah. <laughs> that was before the game. That was before oh, the game. Was before the game, Mr. Blobby Club that on his back. He was very good tips to them, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, very good. If you'd have told me earlier, I might have got the bookies if I was allowed in. But and yeah, we bring Everton, the cup holders they up part, the cameras are there, BBC cameras are there, bogey putters in front, if I remember right, they equalise, and then the Guppy and McCarthy combination oh. and 
what do you remember about that night? And there's loads of cup giant Kevin stories in the book, so we're not going to touch on them all. But no, as it's my favourite memory, Everton, what do you remember? That was absolutely fantastic night because the thing is we played exceptionally well. They were the cup holders, don't forget. Yeah. They were the cup holders and sort of, and then I can imagine now the ball crossed across a face of goal, and then we get that we get that winner. It was um, a tremendous game. I mean, playing against the elite. You see, those are the days when the Premier League teams played their full team. Yeah. Nowadays. You get a situation where it's because they're playing against somebody, especially the lower division, they play half a team. Yeah. Play, you know, they, they only play half a team, give somebody a rest, give somebody a whatever, but then they played all the teams. The same they only played Arsenal, the same yeah. situation then. They all played the top notch players. And for us to get that win against the cup holders in there, to win 2 1, is a tremendous occasion. I mean, I did say to the players, I said, take your time walking around the pitch. I said, and don't, you know, you just take the elation of actually what it was like. Fantastic occasions and sort of brings back brilliant memories for me. And sort of, and obviously the uh, crowd, we had great support then, you know, I mean, to be getting 20,000 then, you know, in the cup and sort of uh, revitalizing the financial structure of the club as well then, you know, the club mm -hmm. supports us, they're helping us to do that. And that was because we had such a, such good run in the FA Cup, you know, the Tottenham games, the Everton games, the uh, the Arsenal games, you know, the Derby games. I mean, um, you know, looking back, it was a it was a real fantastic time for us all. Yeah, mm. yeah. Even Leeds, net. Let's not forget we went to Allen Road, got a draw there. Leeds was, a, was another good game. You know, we got a draw there and brought them back here, and they beat us on that game. That Gary night. McAllister masterclass yeah. wanted. But as I said. You're talking about top-notch players then, you know, who are internationals are playing against you. No, yeah. you, know, you, you look sometimes, and I watch the telly sometimes, and I sort of say, one of the, somebody's playing a team that are in the lower divisions from the Premier League, they'll, they'll leave two or three or four players out. Yeah. And sort of whatever. Mm -hmm. But there, they played a lot. And sort of um, um, great occasions, and sort of fantastic for our supporters, and something that I'm really proud of us to sort of get those uh, FA Cup wins that we did. Um, yeah, great times. Yeah. Did the chairman give you a little bonus for that? or? <laughs> yeah. He give me an extra, an extra gallon of petrol. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, um, we talk about that in my time with Bill and Billy Bell. I mean, we had a long time with him. Sort of, uh, and sort of, uh, he was a difficult character, Bill. I mean, the thing is that... Um, and I say in the book one or two very good stories regarding sort of uh, about him. I don't want to give too much away because it'll be in the book mm. and sort of, but it was uh, uh, difficult uh, to work with the with the board of directors at that time. It was an unstable board, you know, and sort of a lot of um, bickering and fighting and whatever and things like that. And uh, it wasn't the easiest to manage in that period, but. He carried on. We had success. He did help me on a lot of occasions. I'm not saying that there was never an occasion where Bill Bell didn't help me. He did. Um, um, but um, there were many occasions when I thought that, you know, I was more or less ready, going to be sort of uh, sacked, you know, many times. And also my dispute regarding me, regarding my contract and things like that. Bill was uh, obviously got his own garage and he'd uh, got a good business there and whatever. 
he wasn't the easiest to to um, to, to actually work with. He never had a situation where he would be come down and we'd have meetings and the board and whatever discuss all the situations that they do have now. He said, you know, they used to come and just tell, give me a letter and tell me, you know, this is what's going to do. He gave me a letter once where I'd got to, I'd got to sort of put five of my players on the transfer list. And I said to him, uh, I said, I said, I said, hold on a bit. Can't we have a, a discussion, sit down and talk about this? I said, I'm behind these players. I said, I don't want them players to leave. No? Um, so it was a, a, a difficult um, relationship which I had with uh, with Bill and the board at that time, but we had great success. So, I mean, the thing is, it, it couldn't have been that bad at times. Yeah. It was uh, so, um, I'm not trying to sort of say that. Um, the board and that was at fault and I wasn't. I'm not saying that at all. You know, I think in football it's very difficult to be able to get everything on, the, on an even keel and to have success. Um, I was very fortunate to have some really good players that got us that success. And I've always said to, oh, along the lines that you're only as good as your players. Yeah. And sort of and sort of so I can uh, I can sort of say about the directors and there wasn't a uh, the most um, <laughs> easy uh, board to work with. But I mean, when you're looking, I, I lasted 19 years. Uh, I didn't do too bad. No, it's not a bad ending, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, 19 years, I mean, managers now, I don't uh, don't last that long anywhere near, you know, and sort of, I'm looking at Alex Ferguson and uh, Dario Grady and myself with the three longest serving managers actually at that time. So then, Oh, I was very grateful then for um, actually being here that long, you know, and sort of and uh, sort of living in Stoke and Trent. We got a house we just had a chance to build here. We were better settled. The kids were at school, whatever. So living here for uh, that period for 19 years was a big factor for me actually being the manager. I was very grateful that time for there. But as I said before. <laughs> The most important factor for me is that the the supporters were the big factor for me that yeah. kept me in the job on several occasions, and so I'm very grateful for the supporters for all the support they gave me um, in my period actually of being the manager. Um, they couldn't have been, have been any better. I mean, we we had times when you you're never going to satisfy all supporters at any time anyway, you know. But I mean, the majority of the supporters were brilliant with me. They kept me in the job. And one of the most um, memorable things for me when I left Paul Bell was that uh, they secretly had a dinner for me at Trenton Gardens. Yeah. There was about 700 people there. My kids jumped in the car. I said, we're going to take you to dinner, Dad. So I said, oh, yeah. I didn't realise we were going down to Trenton Gardens. And then all of a sudden, there were 700 people <laughs> came in there. And all of them, we had a great night talking about the times which we are doing now, of, of the success we had and the great times that I sort of involved in my career at Port Vale. And then sort of and then had a lot of the old players coming in. Um, and also um, Robbie Williams on the, on the, on the, on coming up on the screen, sort of saying, because Robbie Williams obviously was a 15, 16-year-old boy with Jonathan Wilkes when I was there. And we used to sort of, they used to come, we used to sort of, I used to go to uh, watch his concerts as well when he started, and also they used to come and 
come to the football club and whatever. And we had a really good relationship with Robbie Robbie Williamson um, at that time. And so that evening at Trenton Gardens, I thought was absolutely fantastic for me. And that just illustrated how um, I got on very well with the supporters and how well they treated me. They were fantastic. Yeah, and I remember being on the flat cap march after you got sacked from the middle of the yeah, was before was they played Huddersfield at home. I forget what exactly yeah, what game it was, but I, I can think that it was uh, Huddersfield. I mean, the, uh, yeah, they had, they had a flat cap march. In fact, you just, uh, yeah, this is it. it yeah, I've got me cap from yeah. the time. Yeah. Yeah, it says Rudgy on the back. It's a Kango, a Kango yeah. cap, and they used, to, yeah. and they, used to, they used to send me them. And they used to send me them. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, fantastic and sort of Vatican now. I mean, but he, he come with ball dead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> how, how did that feel? I mean, you've obviously had lots and lots of great times at the Vale and then it did it did come to an end, but everything, you know, nothing lasts forever anyway, does it? And it, and it did come to an end. I remember that flat cap um, march, like you say, Bez, it was like such a big sense of grief, actually. Yeah. There was, supporters were so, so sad about that kind of era coming to an end and then as you say it was sort of celebrated more at Trenton Gardens did you expect that kind of reaction and and how did it feel for it to for it to be so big no it was a bit of a shock to me when I, when I did get the sense we weren't having a very good time at the time but a lot of the players had gone and sort of we were struggling in the championship I think we were about fourth fifth from bottom and sort of uh it got to a stage where we would we just sold Gareth Ainsworth for, for you know a lot of money, yeah. two two million and Millsy for a million. Mm. We got about quite a lot of money in the bank. Bill uh, decided that he wanted to try and see if he could make the um, the ground much better, which I accept. Okay, and, but he wanted to have it to the twenty thousand seats stadium, and I said twenty thousand. I said, what do we want that for? We've been in the championship. This is an our average gate's only 12 and a half. But giving his due, he did make the ground and improve it uh, a lot better than it was. And sort of, and then we've got probably got the uh, the benefits of that actually now with the with the ground now, which isn't a bad ground. You know, it still needs quite a bit to do to it, but it is there. And sort of, um, so at, at that time, I was um, um, we were struggling in the league. And I can remember that I signed two players on the Thursday. The Thursday before this Swindon game on the Saturday. Didn't play them, got put them on the bench. We paid about, um, I think about 600,000 for them. And so uh, we uh, played Swindon in that game, which was my final game. And it was poor weather, snowy, whatever. We finished up losing the game, and uh, I can remember after the game, and sort of, and then Bill Lowdy came in and handed me a letter. And he said, "Look, uh, Chairman, what's uh, we've got a board meeting on a Monday, and uh, um, so we've changed the time to the afternoon." So sorry, yeah. So fine. So um, then comes uh, Sunday, and we go to a, an event that. Uh, and so me and Dal were there, and sort of someone came up to me and sort of says, I've heard that Ryan Horn's going to take your job. And so I said, Oh, yeah. 
Uh, we went straight down to the ground and sort of uh, took all my stuff out of my office, whatever. I come Monday and um, I uh, sit there and all of a sudden Bill Lodi comes in and he said, uh, um, board meeting this afternoon. I said, oh yeah. So I says, oh, I says, oh yeah, Bill. I says, oh, is that it then, Bill? I says, is, is that my time gone? Didn't say a word. <laughs> anyway, we had we had there. I can remember we were sitting in a in a porter cabin because they were doing the buildings on the ground. Yeah. Porter yeah. cabin. They were, they were doing that turn around. He said, oh, you want you to be uh, want you to be the director of football. I said, oh yeah. I said, oh, I said, I said that's funny. I said I reported suggested it that Brian Orb was going to take my job. No, 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 no. So that's not happening. In four days, Brian actually actually did take over. Yeah, <laughs> but um, that was it. That was my time over, and sort of uh, it was a sad occasion for me, um, but um, one which I had to accept. I didn't think that I didn't say to him then that I would uh, I would take over as director of all, but I didn't say I wouldn't. I just kept very very calm and cold on that time when we had that meeting. And then two or three days later, we had a meeting actually at a hotel. And um, I said, Bill, I says, I don't think this is going to work. I said, Brian Orton's a, a, an experienced manager or whatever and things like that. Directors of football only just came into the event then. Yeah. And sort of I said, um, now I, I can't see this working, Bill. I said, so I, I'm, I'm, no, I'm not accepting that, that position as the director of football. And sort of, uh, I think it was only a makeshift thing because I don't think there was a possibility that me and Brian could could that thing after I'd been there for 19 years. Brian yeah. coming in, he'd been a Brian, he was a decent manager. I'm not saying that, um, but I thought that um, um, disappointingly, I had to say no, I'm not going to accept that uh, director football job. Um, so I mean, that was the end of me. You know, after you know, after probably four days after I'd uh, sort of been given that notice with a with a letter, and that that was a similar situation to a lot of incidents while I was manager, is they used to sort of there was no sort of discussions and sort of and sort of working together to be able to sort of uh, you know carry on. It was always a case of the board have decided to do that. Yeah. decided to sack him decided to never even asked me which um was a bit sorry really because i mean i think that we had so many great years and so i'm not calling all the billy bell and all the other directors they were very much part of our success as well so i mean uh full credit to them as well but i mean it was sad to leave at that time and obviously then I had the opportunity then to go to the director of football at Stoke, uh, which I didn't know whether or not that would go down very well with the four of our supporters. Um, but um, I was desperate to want to stay here. My family liked it here. We just bought, you know, built a new house here, and I had opportunities to go to other clubs, but I, I wanted to stay in Stoke and Trent. And so. Uh, <laughs> And some people say I must have been crazy, <laughs> <laughs> but no, we've we've been very happy here. We've had forty years here. We've the people in the kind. I mean, I've lived in the south, and the south um, 
they're nice people, but they're not as friendly as they are up in the north and in. No, agree with that. You know, and then sort of so, um, that's how my career's gone. And then sort of, and then I about fourteen years at uh, at Stoke as director of football. Yeah, mm. we won't touch on that. When when you say that, a big part of well, maybe I'm putting words into your mouth here. I'm hoping this is the case. A big part of your decision there of going to Stoke City was you know, related to wanting to stay here and your family. You talk a lot about the impact the supporters had on your time at the Vale. What about your family, your wife, your two daughters? How, what part have they played in your career? Well, I've been very fortunate. I mean, obviously, I met Del at, um, when, I was at, when I was at Huddersfield. She got a hairdressing business in there. And um, as I said before, I knew she fancied me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I had got hair then, um, but um, no. So I mean, we had two fantastic girls. Um, they're absolutely diamonds for us. We're fortunate they live just behind us. Um, they've got married to two fantastic lads, and we've got four fantastic uh, grandkids. I must admit, my family is even more important to me than football. Yeah, and sort of, um, uh, it is. Um, it's one thing that. Um, I do treasure really that um, you know we you know we've, uh, we've our family are really 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 good united together. That's I think that's in life, whatever you have your work, you have your work you do, you have about a career, whatever things like that. But your family life is uh, is even more important. Yeah, definitely. And that would be a nice way ending. But there is a couple more questions I've got. So just going back to the Everton game. Yes. And that season. We missed out on the playoffs to go up to the Premiership by a few points. It was minimal. How close do you think that team was? And given the backing of the board, if you could have kept that side together, how close do you think Vale could have been to being in the Premier League in the late 90s? Well, I think we were about four, four or five points away from actually getting, getting to the playoffs. But, you see, that, again, it's changed so much now. I mean, um, we... Um, we did exceptionally well in that uh, in that period to uh, to actually get yourself into the into, into the position of, um, of getting very close to going actually getting getting a chance of getting into the playoffs. Uh, you know, in in that period. I mean, so um, I don't know. What do you think is the the question that you want me to really answer that regarding sort of? If you were given the backing, how close do you think we were? Were we one player away? Were we? Because at the end of that season, we then lost Guppy, went to Leicester, McCarthy, went yeah. to Birmingham. And That's right. How close do you think we were to being able I mean, to I, properly go and you, challenge? You, you can never tell. But, I mean, the thing is that we did sell £10 million for the players. Yeah. <laughs> when you think of it now. Yeah. Those players, and I've said to you before, I always reiterate, I'm only as good as the players I've got. At ten million pounds now, would be a hundred million at least now in today's game. Yeah, yeah. Those players obviously uh, had the opportunity because there's a difference in the contract situations then. That once the contracts run out, they could go to another club. Yeah, yeah? they could go to another club. You'd have to go to a tribunal to actually find a fair. When you think of the money which we actually generated from that, so 10 million for, for, our, for Paul Vale, uh, we spent 5 million. Yeah. I spent 
fourth division to actually that's okay you can say you know what managers and things like that but on the field of play they're the ones who are going to go and get you the results yeah. you know and sort of and sort of recruiting them and sort of getting them and dealing with them or whatever you're going to always fall out with some players you're going to have some players are going to be good for you um, some have been fantastic, some are not going to be so good. You have to, you have to get rid of them. Um, but um, that's the experience that I've had in my sort of period from being 15 year olds. Well, I'm 79 now. 79. I know you're going to say, I'm not, I don't look it, I look like, more like 89. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, um, I have to sort of say, by golly, Reggie, you've been very lucky. I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it is down to luck. I always hear you say about luck. I, I you create your own luck. Yeah, I think. And and one of my questions really was, in the nineties, what was it that set us apart? What was it that made us so good? Well, it's all about. Obviously, results in the football end, but you're not going to get results, you've got to have good players. And I was out two, three, four nights a week, you know, getting players. I was fortunate for things worked. I mean, in the book, there'll be sort of the occasions, uh, how it happened. Um, we mentioned about sort of one or two of the players, and sort of I was here, there, and everywhere. And sort of um, I was fortunate enough to sort of be able to choose the right ones. I'm not saying they all came off. I mean, there, there was a sort of, but I would say the general thing, when you when you look at it, uh, they, they had the opportunity to go to other clubs and bigger clubs and sort of and, and into the Premier Leagues and things like that. Rugby Hills, you know, the Beckfords and whatever. And then, um, you're all about whether or not your players can sort of do that for you, which they did. They were, you know, I really appreciate all the work and that they did for us and sort of and so and it's all about uh, I always say this you're only as good as your players and sort of and I was fortunate to be I'm not saying I worked exceptionally hard to get them players. Yes, I was just going to say you talk about you were lucky. You were out three, four nights a week. That's, that's right. creating your own luck. Yeah. That's spotting the right player, bringing the right player in, yeah. and spending. You spoke about your time with Mark Bright. You'd be on the training pitch till five yeah. o'clock at night. That's putting the work in. Yes, you probably need a bit of luck with injuries because if you have five, six injuries out to your first eleven, yeah. you're a much weaker side. But you've got to be there to spot the player, bring them in, develop them, and sell them on for ten million pound. That's correct. I mean, and sort of, and that's that was my career at uh, Paul Bell. I was, I'm proud of what we achieved. There's no question about that. And sort of, and a, sort of, and a, I was very grateful for the supporters because they backed me through thick and thin. There was many times when, when we got relegated, when we were in the championship, we got relegated, and sort of, and uh, I can see put supporters out on that car park. Um, sort of, um, Billy Bell was talking about the compound with this, and there was a dispute on it. With two or three hundred people outside selling that. Have you sorted your contract out? And so I said, No, no, no. If they come back, so John, come in and then they backed me to the hilt and sort yeah. of and sort of and sort of. I was, I'm so grateful. And now it's a game situation again now that they're going to build a statue for me. I'm so honored and, and grateful for, for what they're doing. And sort of, uh, it's been a great time for me being at Poor Bell. And that's why we didn't want to particularly leave Stoke. That's why I went over to the Great Divide, 
you know, a lot of hopefully those supporters will forgive me for that. Many of the things that uh, um, a lot of people who said, well, oh, they don't make any difference to that, you know, your time was, was, was brilliant. So uh, that's why we remember you. Yeah. And, and I mean, now I've been very lucky in the sense that um, Carol and Kevin have asked me and made me president of the club, and which I'm greatly honoured for that. I go with uh, Carol and Kevin to all the games. Um, I go in the uh, in the car with Kev. We have a laugh and a joke at the back, and sort of an easy character, really nice fella. And uh, Carol's sort of um, doing exceptionally well for the club. And um, we couldn't be in better hands, I can assure you of that. Mm. And sort of, and uh, let's hope we can get the success that uh, the supporters deserve because they're, they're still sort of thick and thin. When I think of 2000, then we got to when we were going to when we had 20,000. Yeah, I mean, they weren't all poor Vale supporters, but I mean, there were a majority, a lot of them were. Um, um, if we can get uh, th things on the road again a little bit and sort of. Uh, um, hopefully about the promotion getting into the next division and then uh, now we're in a, a spell where we probably haven't uh, had the best of, best of luck and whatever at the moment in time but I'm sure that uh, um, we'll be able to play around Fingers crossed no, We aren't going to touch on the modern stuff because we don't want to put you on the spot and ask you should A, no. B, X, Y ever. the only one thing I'm going to ask you modern stuff you've seen a lot of good players come through Vale and develop and go on how good's Ali Arblasti? Very good. I mean, but don't forget he's on he's on loan. Yeah, unfortunately. He's on loan. And sort yeah. of and uh, there's um there's quite a one or two young players who look very promising as well, yeah. you know, because we went to we went to Shrewsbury the other week and then we finished up that uh, Andy gave the opportunity for one or two of the younger players to play and they shown up pretty well. I thought that uh, you're good and I think the uh, um the uh, Younger element of the club now is, is progressed a hundred percent better than it was when I was here because I mean, uh, you know, you see when you when you used to have a young player came and sort of and sort of uh, I, I didn't sort of uh, like the Robbie Earl and Shantland or whatever, but when the parents come and sort of all of a sudden at that time when you were taught of taking young players on at very young age. Um, and I did establish that at actually the college early doors, even before Stoke even started doing it. But if someone comes and sort of sees one of your young players at the my stage, they could take the player away. You got no compensation. But now that has changed now. Yeah. And so we have actually the club have actually uh, prospered from that uh, new range where they've actually sold players on to bigger clubs who would look at you. Yeah, they used to do what they used to do. I used to have the young players and then all of a sudden there's somebody come and watch them play and they used to just take them away. And the parents, with us being sort of in the lower divisions, come there, but think, oh, it's a Premier League side or, or you know, first division side coming or Stoke City side who were higher than us. They said, well, they'll go to Stoke. You used to get no compensation at all. But now that has altered. Yeah. Sort of so that there were the, the people who were running the, the youth team now do get the uh, the opportunity to um, to actually prosper from if somebody comes and takes your player from at a young age, you do get sort of uh, benefit from that and get yeah. compensated for that. And so that's a great thing. That wasn't the case when I was when I was managing. 
They used to just pinch them off you, and that was it. Right. That's interesting because that's a different view on the way I saw the modern. I saw the modern as, well, a Premier League can come in and nick your players for peanuts, whereas actually, hearing that back in your day, they're just nicking for nothing, at least you're getting something now. Because obviously we've got Joel and Darlow that's at Man City now under 17s that's yeah. come through by only two chemies doing well. There's the lad that went Newcastle, lad's gone Bailey. Yeah. And as you say, we've seen Reese Walters come on, James Plant. Right. We've got right. Bailey De Pepper yeah. up front. Liam Brace has played a few games. Jack Shorrock. So there is a lot of youth now coming through that hopefully that's we can make 10 million from some of them. That's exactly mm-hmm. right. I mean, you can then, so it's worthwhile doing that now. Well, yeah. in my time, you know, you you know, you do that, and then all of a sudden you got somebody broken promise, and then somebody come up pinching off you. Is there any that stick to mind that you can think? Oh, he was at the Vale, but Vale fans didn't know, but he got pinched before he got to the first team and went to have a good career. Is there any that stick to mind? I mean, my memory's not that good. No, <laughs> I didn't wonder. I didn't want to put you on the spot, but I just thought if you got one that. No, you turned around and said Ryan Giggs was at Vale, and thought you could come and nick him as a twelve-year-old. Yeah, yeah, this is it. No, I mean, but um, I, I can't remember. Um, but there's some that got pinched that went on have good careers and yeah, I mean the thing is that at that time you didn't um, you didn't concentrate as much uh, on the younger players then because the thing is because of that you know and sort of and uh, and then also the parents the parents used to come and I used to have them and I used to say to them I said look I've been a player on this is and I've been very fortunate I said but look out of the apprentices we've got out of ten of them. We signed two or three out of that. That's as many as we will take. Yeah. So I said to them, make sure that your lad keeps up with his education mm-hmm. and gets sort of that through from there. So you can easily, easily continue doing his training and whatever. Make sure that he does that. Don't think that he's going to, because there's so many players will sort of fall by the wayside. I said, so I used to, and very much I used to have the parents in when he was 12 months and I used to say, look, Make sure that he's still doing his education so that, you know, it's got something to fall back on. And sort of, uh, I thought that was very important because I knew myself, like as a, as a schoolboy, whatever, that, um, you know, not everybody will make the grade. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So sort of looking back then, I guess ra- wrapping things up a little bit, um, looking back at your time as, as particularly as Vale manager, there must be something that there's loads of good times. We've spoken, touched on quite a few of them today in, in, in this, and it's been great reliving some of that. If there was one time that you look back and that was, there must be something when you think back, if you could go back for one day and relive that, or there was a period that was just the best, what was your all-time high as rail manager? Um, as regarding um, in my general life, it's Marion Dell. <laughs> <laughs> as regarding my football career, I think that um, getting Bale actually into the championship and sort of and uh, managing to be able to uh, be here for 19 years, I'm very proud of that. And obviously very grateful, very grateful for the supporters, for all the support they gave me. And because they did keep me in a job on several occasions. And so I'm very grateful for that. So um, then going over to Stoke, um, 
you know, I was there 14 years. People say to me, you never there 14 years. And yeah, I was there 14 years. And, um, you didn't do a very good job as an undercover agent for all you took them to the Premier. I know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the thing is, I mean, you had some, some local derbies there. But, yeah, yeah. And then, and then we did, it's, uh, the Vale beat, won more games than when I was at Stoke. We, the Vale yeah. won more games. Yeah, we had the, the last Potteries derby, Mickey Cummings had it, 1 0. That season, we beat him in the LTV semi final, Mark Pitch Wilkinson penalty. They yeah. went, to, they yeah. went, to, went to the final. Yeah, went remember? to Cardiff. Cardiff, that one, the Wedding Stadium. Yeah, yeah. We, we, when I was at uh, Stoke with the Bell, we didn't uh, beat the Bell very often. You know, and sort of, uh, so I mean, uh, in that respect, um, no, I would say that um, to actually determine one point of, of actually of my career, and that'd be very difficult because the thing is that um, um, I've been very lucky to be involved in football 15. I'm 79 now, and I'm being lucky to go back to Port Vale again. I mean, you, you couldn't sort of, uh, if you uh, desperate to want to be a footballer at 15, you want to be interested in football, being so lucky yeah. to have been involved in for such a long time. Did, yeah? did it feel, when you came back to the Vale, yes. did it feel like you were coming home? Yes, there's no question about that. That's a good point. I mean, uh, I can remember uh, Norman and, and Neil and Aspin coming to my house, and they said we were in desperate trouble then. Yeah. And I was desperate for them not to go out of the league. I would have hated them to go out of the league. I said, when would you come and, come and help us? And I was helping Steve Bruce, actually, at, uh, <coughs> at Hallway. And sort of, I said, uh, yeah, he said, Norman said, he said, why don't you come and help Neil? You know, he's coming in, you know. So I was delighted to actually be to come back um, and sort of try and help them get out of the trouble they did. They were the ones which uh, take the credit for that, not me. And uh, Neil, an assistant there, there. And then sort of for when uh, Carol and Kevin take over and then they made me president. It was a very honourable thing for, for them to do. For me now to be um, going to all the games me and Kevin in there laughing and joking. Obviously, especially when we won. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's uh, tremendous for me at my age to still be involved at the club which I've loved. Yeah, yeah. And last one, you've been at Vale 19 years as assistant and manager. You've gone back now. Any regrets? Regrets? I don't think so. No. No. Uh, I can't. I mean, it, it's all went as it should. Well, yeah, I mean, you're not when you get beat about five, you know, <laughs> <laughs> when you get relegated, you know, you, you never just uh, regrets then, you know, sort of, uh, but no, I mean, to say that I'm at 15 years old and I'm, I was sort of desperate to want to be a player, I'm leaving Wolverhampton to go all the way to Huddersfield, you know, as a 15-year-old kid, I look at my grandson and I think, God, how can you manage to do that? But I mean, I was desperate to want to do that and sort of... Um, and now, coming up to um, 79, and now they're going to be building that statue for 80. I mean, what more could I want? Yeah, yeah. I um, and I think we, Bez and I, but on, on behalf of all of the supporters who've lived through those years, just want to say thank you, because yeah. it isn't just, you know, it isn't just about supporting your football club. It's like I look back on those years as some of, 
the highlight of my entire life. Yeah. It's it's being part of a football club, that community where you're all celebrating together and as children or at any age, it's like the memories, well, they'll just live with us forever. Yeah. So thank you and I think you fully deserve what the supporters club and our committee and all the supporters are doing to kind of get this statue up off the ground so that in years to come we can tell our children and grandchildren about those days. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate being here today and giving me the opportunity to thank the supporters and thank them um, you know, for all the things they've done for me. It's been a pleasure to try and serve them and hopefully that uh, we can continue with the um, success which they've had and hopefully they can be... I know what Paul Bowers like, you know, it's, it's, you're up and down like football is, but I mean... Uh, um, I think we've got very good owners at the moment in time, which will give us a thing. The manager's doing a good job. He's having, obviously, the players are doing their best. You know, we could do with a couple more goals. Yeah. But, you know, let's hope that we can get cracking again and sort of have the success we all want. Yeah. And thank you very much for your time, John. Really enjoyed that. The amount of times I've had goosebumps relating the memories is unbelievable. For those listeners, we said, if you haven't got the book already, go and get it because. There was goosebumps all over reading the book. There was tears. There was laughter. Really enjoyed it. So thank you for the book as well. But the 19 years at Vale, as I say, you're my gaffer. Growing up, my gaffer, you're the one that got me hooked on the Vale. The way that we played, the attacking football, the wingers, which is why. And people laugh at me now. Vale Park needs wingers. But that's because I was spoiled. I watched Guppy. I watched McCarthy. I watched Ainsworth. And I saw wingers terrorising. And very different wingers. Let's be fair. Guppy was very much a deliver from anywhere. McCarthy was a get to the line and cross in. Ainsworth was an head down, bulldoze straight through. So very three different wingers, but I've always loved wingers ever since. And thank you for them memories. Thank you for your time today. I've really enjoyed this. And as I say, anyone listening, go and get the book. Any other ways they can support Kirst? Yeah, just as a reminder, we've got mugs in the club shop as well as the book. Um, get in touch with the supporters club if you've got any ideas. That's what you did when you ran your off and Benny Dorn, yeah. if there's anything else. I'm, I'm even thinking, I do feel like you've inspired me a little bit with this this half. I still, believe it or not, massive runner, love running. I still haven't ran a half because every time I've entered, I've got injured. And I feel like now I've started the sentence, I'm, I'm going to have to finish it, but I am thinking in the new year, I wonder if I'll put myself down for an half through AV timing. Madeley off, start first weekend in April, Madeley off marathon. That feels potentially doable and maybe that'll be another way if we can think. Maybe there'll be, is there other Vale fans out there who we can have an Ale and Vale yeah. pod and we can try and raise some more money for the, the statue, yeah. let's see. Yeah. John, yeah. do you fancy half marathon? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, um, at one time I was a decent runner. You know, I was, uh, when I was young, um, I, was a, I was a decent runner. Um, but I mean, I don't think so now. I mean, I do play golf on a regular basis. I find that that is good exercise for me, good five-mile walk. But I tell you something, when I get into the 16th, 17th hour, I'm getting my legs are getting a bit, you know, I'm a bit tired. You know, so, so it, it does get to you when you get into my age now. But I've been very fortunate. And sort of, I just like to just to finish off and just say yeah. thank you very much to the Bell supporters who have been so fantastic to me. And also, I'd like to find, thank you very much for the interview and sort of hopefully that people enjoy it. I hope you'll enjoy the book and I'd like to thank you all for all your help and support all those years.
Yeah, thanks for your yes. time, John. Thanks, John. So it's full time from the pod, and we've just lost again. And now it's time for a treat. What are you looking for, Bez? Well, I'm looking to who's cost us today. Was it the ref? Was it the players? But whoever it was, cheer yourselves up. Get yourselves to McDonald's. Get yourself a Big Mac tonight and enjoy it through the app. Johnny? Yeah, there we go. So automate delivery on, on the app. It's at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com for more details. And don't forget, have an ale and up the veil. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.